Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I want us to open up with a quote from Cole Arthur Riley that I think is really important for us to start engaging our scripture. I've always appreciated the audacity of the prophet Habakkuk, who in weariness and frustration, any of you feeling weary or frustrated? Anyone? Okay. Uh, demanded God do something about the corrupt leadership of the time and the people's extortion and oppression at the hands of the wealthy. Ooh. <laughs> So one of the goals that I had as a pastor in this sermon series was um, to really look at the scriptural references that Cole Arthur Riley is naturally incorporating into the chapters and then doing a little bit more of a deep dive since this isn't a Bible study book, this is about like living faith in your body. And so sometimes it's nice to know a little bit of the, the background of really what she's referring to. And so, um, so we're going to do a responsive reading. We don't usually do this at New City, so uh, y'all get ready. Um, prepare your singing voices, or speaking voices. Uh, so we're gonna, um, I'm gonna show uh, uh, the scripture for today. I'm gonna read the parts, uh, the uh, lighter parts, and then you're gonna read the purple parts, okay? And this is gonna be our scripture for today. So read it out loud, and then uh, I'll ask you for a word or phrase that stuck out to you. Okay. Lord, how long will I call for help and you not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you don't deliver us. Why do you show me injustice and look at anguish? so that devastation and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Destructive is ineffective. Justice does not endure because the wicked surround the righteous. Justice becomes warped, warped. Whoa. So looking at that scripture, uh, just shout out, what word or phrase sticks out to you from this? Warped. Mm ineffective yeah what else you don't deliver us Habakkuk is dragging God <laughs> like who's not delivering us you're not delivering us like that's the, the what was that conflict abounds Oof. anguish anguish violence yeah 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 and you and those of you joining us on the live stream put it in the chat what sticks out to you uh, this is one of the ways that we can read scripture is to continually pour over it and then notice a word or phrase that sticks out to you. Um, and can you just feel kind of the emotional potency in this text? Do you feel kind of like the burning coals that Habakkuk feels? Kind of like mid Selena's poem of like, <laughs> we're not yet to the house building stage. We are definitely like on fire here. And what I love about remembering this scripture is that it gives us permission to feel these emotions in our own faith journey. If you're ever pissed at God, good news, 
you have scriptural antecedent. You know, like there's, there's someone who uh, has gone before you who has found meaning in this. And it's, it was, that anger was so holy that we decided to write it down on scripture and pass it down for 2,000, uh, well, since this is Old Testament, 3,000, 4,000 generations uh, uh, of years of generations so that people can access this anger when they needed it. If you're ever sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, you are not alone in this movement. And that's important because being sick and tired and uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired as community creates change. Being sick and tired of being sick and tired by yourself creates toxicity. So we're trying to, we're trying to come together and remind you that there is a lineage of people behind you. Hey, so this week um, I was in Indianapolis. Anyone ever been? Yes, Indy 500. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and it was there, I was there for a conference by the, held by the Lilly Endowment. Uh, the Lilly Endowment funds a lot of different uh, religious life things around the country. And so it was this room of 25 different participating organizations, programs, research projects that have worked with tens of thousands of churches across the country. And so this is um, like a bunch of different types of Christians in one room, like Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, like conservative evangelicals, uh, liberationists, which is like New City is kind of in the liberation theology tradition, in other United Methodists, which New City is in a denomination with, um, and just the whole spectrum of, of folks. And we're all in this room together. And the goal of this gathering was to get an understanding of what is happening in congregational life. Because Lily Endowment is one of those things where they have like hundreds of millions of dollars to give away and they're trying to listen to the congregations to figure out what is the most powerful way to to plant this like millions of dollars to diffuse this throughout the country so that our congregational life can flourish across a lot of different denominations and um and it was it was a really interesting gathering i made a lot of uh, friends who might be joining us on the live stream uh this week hello by the way and I think that, like, I was really grateful that I, I came into this room knowing that Habakkuk was one of the prophets in the Bible. I, I, I came into the room where it was kind of like a respectability a little bit. Like, I definitely wore, like, a suit. What do they call Like, the thing that I never wear, like a blazer. Okay, I was serving, like, dress shoes that I also have had since high school for, like, my <laughs> band concerts. <laughs> And I was, I was really grateful to enter this room, not just as another kind of like conference of random people getting together, but as a person of faith, as a person who uh, is part of a lineage of people who uh, believe that God is so, so good and also believe that, that uh, we can pray angrily to God. And all of that is part of growing in faith. All of that is part of growing in love with God. I was grateful to be able to enter that room because we were, um, we had some, uh, some spicy conversation. A little bit of, a little picante. I know we're in Minnesota, but, we, but listen, we can get spicy sometimes, y'all. And, um, and so there's, there's three observations or three takeaways that I had from this gathering. Three takeaways that I had from this gathering. And by the way, I'm going to call this the like, don't at me takeaways, meaning like, don't like post on social media like, Tyler said that the Lily Endowment does that, like, no, 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 don't at me, don't at me, y'all. <laughs> this is, this is some takeaways, that, three takeaways that I had. So one of them was that New City Church is not alone, but we are rare. 
Um, so there are lots of, of communities across the country that are starting to take seriously, and have taken seriously for a long time, frankly, the, uh, the dignity of marginalized folks. The, uh, there are folks who are in this liberation theology tr tradition who have been advocating for the freedom of all people, for the healing of all creation, for a really long time. Um, and it was fun to be able to like connect with these other folks and, and to hear about their projects. Every participant wrote a little um, little review of what they're doing with their grants, and and I it was fun to read through this like 99 page document of folks saying like how they're going about accomplishing God's work in the world or participating in God's work in the world, and I was like, dang, there's some folks who are like-minded with New City Church here. And it's sometimes nice to know that because, I don't know, some of y'all come from church scenarios where, like, New City Church seems like a, a unicorn <laughs> that is, like, the only one. And I, and I want to tell y'all that, that there are other folks across the country who are starting to, um, to really galvanize around a liberative kind of Holy Spirit movement that we are not alone in this. With that said... Um, there's not like so many of us that we can take this for granted. <laughs> there is a certain rarity to what it means to, to gather as people of faith who, um, who are explicitly anti-racist and moving towards a multiracial community, who are specifically LGBTQ affirming, which does not mean allowing gay people to sit in the pews, by the way. It means like queer people are like, able to speak an important truth to the world that like the straight and cisgender people benefit from. Like this is like, this is an ethic, right? We're not just pews, we're preachers, okay? Hallelujah. So, um, so we're, we're grateful for that. And, and that was one of my takeaways. The second takeaway was the, the church is rapidly redefining its role in society and the role of the pastor in theological uh, education are changing along with it. So this is a little bit more for uh, you seminarians out there, but um, the, the role of what it means to be church is going to look different in the next 50 years than what it looked like in the past 50 years. To which I say, hallelujah! <laughs> like, wow! Yay! The past 50 years wasn't great for people like me! So I am like, I'm so thrilled that that's the case. And it's our uh, opportunity to shape what it looks like in the future. Like we're in a very, like the iron is hot kind of moment and we can bend the religious imagination of our country in ways that we haven't been able to, I would argue, since the founding of the country. Like there's some radical shifts going on in the church. And by participating in this, like you are a part of this like huge shift together. And for those of you, I know that there's a lot of folks at New City who are like new, they're not sure if they identify as Christian, they're not sure if they identify with the whole churchy thing. I just want you to know that like New City's imagination for what the church can be in the future is a place where folks who are like not sure if they identify as Christian can still like be part of community and be loved and be accepted and, and explore this together. Like uh, New City is like pretty Jesus-y, like we had a a pretty Jesus-y song this morning, and I was like feeling it. And, and we'll continue to do that, but we never have like a purity test that's like, in order to enter the door, you need to believe like these, these following points. Because we've seen the violence of what happens to that. We've seen like how the empire, uh, which is to say the forces of domination and oppression, actually like 
leverage our religious purity tests to reinforce power structures. Anyone out there? Where it's like, it's like some, okay, so let me say this plainer. So it's like, sometimes our society can be uh, misogynist, it can be anti-women, can be uh, racist, and sometimes when we uh, in church gatherings create these purity tests of like, you have to be up to this standard in order to be here, the, that anti-women, racism, uh, homophobia, all kind of infuse itself into these standards. And then all of a sudden, we're just replicating the same violence that we see on the streets in our pews. And so like we're, we're shaping what it means to be a church. We're shaping what it means to follow Jesus. And, um, and there are certainly lots of other folks who are doing this same work historically and currently, but that is kind of where we are as a movement. And then the last, uh, the last finding is, is where I started getting some kind of Habakkuk-y. I, I became a Habakkuk-y monster. <laughs> and, um, and this is like in, our, in, in the reports that all of these, like thousands of churches generated these reports of how, what's going on in their grant. There was a certain word that kept showing up across the board in a lot of different traditions and a lot of there was black church scholars there there was uh hispanic latino churches scholars there and there was one word that kept popping up and that was the word polarization uh, a lot of churches characterize polarization as one of their hardships Polarization. Have you all ever heard the word polarization in the, in the news lately? Have you ever heard it in the... Yeah, polarization, polarization. Polarization, for those of you um, who are unfamiliar with the word, is referring to like this kind of like extreme um, um, people moving in opposite directions continuously. It's like oil and water, you know, like it's like two parts of a battery. You know when you can't touch two parts of a battery together? Like, that, they're saying, like, that's what's happening to our country. And I was on a panel at this conference with uh, Dr. Uh, Reverend Joy Bronson, who is part of the American Baptist. Um, uh, she does a project with the American Baptist. And she was saying, like, I don't know if polarization is really the right framework for us in America when last week there was an act of racial terrorism in, uh, in Buffalo, New York, and also in California, in Southern California, like there was, there was an act of organized violence to further political aims, which is what the definition of terrorism is, specifically against a racial group. And so like, there was racial terrorism there, and if, if we're just going to talk about polarization without addressing racial terrorism, then, uh, then we are deceiving ourselves about what is going on in our world today. Like there, <laughs> like, there is intentional moves being made, militarized moves being made by supremacists, white supremacists in this country, and so like, unless we who believe in peace organize as meaningfully as the folks who believe in the destruction of black lives, then, we, you know, then we're just deceiving ourselves. We have to organize, we have to be real about this. And I was, I was so moved by um, what Reverend Bronson said that I, I just kind of like realize that polarization is entirely insufficient to describe the problem that we're facing. Polarization is entirely insufficient. And I actually, um, uh, when the mic came to me, I shared something that all of you taught me. 
Um, uh, some, some of you know that after worship, we have something called sacred witnessing, which is like a Zoom call where we can kind of process what, uh, what we preached about and what we heard in worship. And at one sacred witnessing, um, someone at New City taught me why polarization is entirely insufficient. Because polarization as a metaphor says that there's two directions and folks are getting further and further apart. And so they're saying that polarization, the distance between the two is what the problem is. But again, if racialized terrorism is on the board, then simply the distance between our country is not the real issue. Because if, if everyone were to shift over here to racial terrorism, we wouldn't be a polarized society, but we would still have issues. We'd still have some things to work out. And so like, so it, that's why polarization as a framework is, is not helpful because it's like, if polarization is the problem and then we fix polarization like this, then we still got issues. And that means that we're not, frame, we're not imagining our issues correctly. Listen, this is a life skill, by the way, uh, because sometimes the way that you word your issues it determines the kind of solutions that you get. I don't know if any of you are living with like roommates or you have a partner or but like sometimes if it's like the uh, if you show up all hot and bothered and you're like you're not cleaning up the dishes then that changes some of the framework of <laughs> what is being said versus like hey we made a promise together and I don't feel seen in this in this relationship, right? Those are, those are radically different things. I'm seeing a lot of couples laugh and look at each other. Okay. <laughs> Listen, y'all, we got to name the issue for what the issue is, because if we don't name the issue up front, then we're never going to find the solution to the issue because we're lying to ourselves. And we're, so if we lie about what the issue is, then we're going to lie about what the solution is. So we have to, we have to be precise. Um, something that it, uh, is said in the um, justice chapter of this here flesh is justice requires accounting, deep accounting. This is a, a riff off of bell hooks. Like there's a certain type of like precision that we need in justice because like unless we are precise, then we won't find the solutions that we need to create a better world. And so polarization can't simply be how we describe our issues. Um, uh, and Habakkuk would have none of this, by the way. Habakkuk is like, um, it's, it's not simple. The issues is not simply that people are far away from each other. The issue is that there is a certain loss of love in our society. And what is resulting from that is injustice everywhere. If you've ever felt like you've experienced injustice in your life, Habakkuk would say that is because there is a loss of love. Uh, the, uh, upstream from that, that, that somehow some, someone forgot to love, uh, that, that, that the sacred love that is available to us was not like manifested in the world and that's how injustice happened. Habakkuk really cares about this and, and a lot of prophets do. So he, I want to say uh, two approaches that Habakkuk has that I think are helpful um, alternatives to polarization, helpful alternatives to thinking about polarization. Um, so, oh yeah, 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 and I love this quote, Habakkuk 1.13. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? This is Habakkuk 1.13. So, okay, first of all, Habakkuk is like, it's okay to name someone who's treacherous. 
It's okay to name, like, if, if, if you're noticing the wicked swallow up the poor, it's okay to call that wicked. It's okay, like, it's okay to name what you are experiencing with someone as long as you know that there is a certain belovedness in every human being that can never be erased, right? And so, like, this is kind of the one-two of, of Christian spirituality. Like, everyone is a child of God, and we all got stuff to work on. And, and you're actually not doing anyone a favor if you're not naming the things that folks have to work on. And so if you're noticing, like, the super elite, the super wealthy, the super powerful stepping on the lives of marginalized folks, it is our job to call that out. And Habakkuk poetically does that, just showing the wicked. They call him a wicked. Wicked! No one's defying gravity in here. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and I just want to name that, like, the, the secular, if, if we weren't in a church and we were just, like, in a, in a progressive neighborhood, the kind of, like, quote-unquote secular, even though I have issues with that term, the secular solution to this would be everyone just needs to shift over this way. Like, we need to not be polarized, but we need to be kind of, like, in the other direction, right? And I think that Habakkuk offers two kind of like alternatives that are helpful uh, beyond just kind of like this kind of like plain political imagination. Two things that I think Habakkuk does really well. Uh, one is that um, Habakkuk shows that God cares about the one who is being crushed. And so it's not, this is important. The issue isn't just like, we don't need racialized terrorism, we need to automatically move towards this other thing. The, fir the first move of Habakkuk is like, let's talk to the person who's being crushed right now. Let's talk to the poor. Let's talk to the marginalized. Before we figure out this giant academic exercise of like how we're gonna fix society, the mic first goes to the person who's hurting the most. That's how we shape our discourse. And so Habakkuk is, uh, has this great line that, though the fig tree, meaning um, uh, Habakkuk's people, does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will exult in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk uh, has all of this beautiful poetry describing the pains and the injustices that are suffering and says, hey, if you're hurting, there is still an opportunity to have hope in your life. If you are hurting, there is still a God who is willing to create a spark of hope that no, nothing else in society is offering you. And I love this because it's like, the first step is to offer some soul first aid to the folks who are hurting the most. The first move is like, we're going to, um, uh, um, what is it called when it's like, it's uh, like the image is like, um, like a seedling breaking through some concrete on the sidewalk. You know, like, have you ever seen that? Like when a plant is destroying a sidewalk? The first move is to, like, give people breath. The first move is to give people access to light. The first move is to say, even though you've been hurt and hurt real bad, there is still a God whom you can turn to and experience hope. This changes everything. This changes everything. For you to have, imagine the worst day that you had this year, if you could have an unshakable sense of hope to go along with that. Imagine how different your life would be if even as you were in a fight with your partner talking about clearing out the dishwasher, but it's never about clearing out the dishwasher, that you knew that there was a hope that cannot be erased. That there is a God who loves you so much that your eyes are so fixed on, on, on the new world that God is birthing that everything else changes. This is an important first move because if we don't address the deep pain of our society and the deep hope of God, then we'll never find solutions for our world. 
This has to be the first move. Before you get into political discourse, the, our, our political discourse is, is listening to marginalized folks and creating hope in places where there isn't hope. The second move that Habakkuk makes is Habakkuk shows that God is way, way larger than our political imagination. Okay, so we're going to take a zoom out moment here. We were talking about, you know, racialized terrorism and the left and the right and uh, what party we were voting for, whatever, whatever. And, like, that encompasses, like, let's say, like, this little bracket right here is human imagination. And Habakkuk is saying, like, there is a God who is imagining a whole new world for us that is so much bigger than voting right or left. There is so much more than simply uh, partisan politics in, in God, which doesn't mean that I don't think y'all should vote. Uh, we participate in the world as it is, but we look towards a world as it can be. And it's when, as we start to engage in the Bible more and more, we realize that God isn't simply shifting folks from left to right, but God has another imagination entirely. God is moving in other dimensions to what it means to be a child of God. God is like, we're going to work for a world where the lion can lie down with the lamb. We're going to work towards a world where the mountain and the valley meet each other. We're going to work for a world where justice and love kiss each other. This is what God wants in your life, and you keep limiting yourself if you think that you, the little shoebox of political analysis is enough. We have to dream bigger. We have to dream bigger about what can be done in our lives. And so as we think about polarization, it's, it's like... We have to engage with the world as it is, but I, I want you to just keep your eyes trained on an entirely different way of being. That's what we call the kingdom of God in Christianity, an entirely different order of the universe that God has been working on for, since the cosmos began for billions of years. And we are part of that. You are part of that. Amen.